You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated in a good, happy resurrection day to all of you. Thank you for being here for the 10 o'clock gathering at Highland. We remember today the most significant and consequential day in all of history, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And Christian, our, our faith is built on this. If there is no resurrection, there is no need to gather today at all. If there is no resurrection, we have zero hope in this life. But because Christ did conquer the grave, Christ had the final word over death, we have gathered today with joy and with hope and the promise of life that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. He then revealed himself to 500 others that we read about in the New Testament. And now the world knows that this king has been raised from the dead. And today, billions of people, quite literally, billions of people around the planet will gather to celebrate this resurrection. We'll gather to remember that Christ is the king. Now, there's a verse I want us to go to. Actually, I'm going to read it to you first. I don't want you to turn there. It'll take you half the sermon for you to find it. But it's going to be, uh, this is a verse that we would probably never use on an Easter Sunday morning. But let me just read this verse to you. You'll see it on the screen behind me. It's Ezekiel. You see why I didn't have you turn there. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 35 through 36. The nations around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Christ was raised for the nations. There are 48 flags around the perimeter of this life center. You're welcome to turn around if you want to, to, to see all the flags we counted this morning. I know that there are 40, 48 of them around the, the life center. They represent 48 nationalities from which our church family comes. I mean, just think about that for a little bit. Little Owaco in a 100-year-old church this in a neighborhood, if you want to get to Highland, you have to want to get to Highland. You don't just trip up on Highland. Like you have to want to get here in the middle of, of a neighborhood. That means last Sunday, for every 62 people that entered, there was a different nationality represented within this church family. And if you're a member here at Highland and we have missed your flag somehow, you come find me when this gathering is over. And, and we'll, we'll Amazon that flag in this week and make sure we have it for, for next Sunday. But I want you to see this. All nations need to know this astounding news. That the resurrection, the destroyed body of Christ was raised again to life. Just as it says in Ezekiel, that which was desolate is now breathing again. God himself has spoken this. And God himself has done this. I know a lot of you are from, from out of town. We welcome you here today. Probably a lot of Wacoans here today as well. We've already established a lot of different nationalities represented within this church family. But something else that's kind of unique about, about this gathering today, we come from, from different backgrounds. I mean, you've probably seen it already. There, there are different, different skin tones in this room, different generations in this room. Uh, there's probably a varying degree of people who have walked closely with Jesus for a long time, a varying degree of some who've walked with Jesus for a short time, probably many in this room, several in this room who've never walked with Jesus, don't even believe in Jesus. But, but tradition, or maybe grandmother, made sure that you're in church today. 
And, and, and you're here, and, and I'm glad that you're here, but there's a, a common denominator that holds all of us together. No, no matter our background, no matter our journey, no matter your relationship with God or your lack of relationship with God, there's a common denominator that holds all of us together in this space today, and that's that all of us in this room, we long for hope. Every one of us in this room, we long for hope. When I say hope, meaning that, that tomorrow will be better. Or, or that things will improve for us in, in life. That is really the basic definition of hope. And as Andy writes to Red in the Shawshank Redemption, hope is a good thing. Maybe the greatest of things. So Jesus, we've come to celebrate today that Jesus is the king. He's the conqueror over death. And what he delivered in that resurrection simply is hope. After his resurrection, Jesus makes appearances to people who felt hopeless, to hopeless people who found themselves in hopeless situations. And when this resurrected king comes on the scene, everything changes. Maybe for some in this house today, you need something to change in, in your life. You're hoping for change. You're, you're hoping for hope. And Jesus changes things. In fact, Jesus specializes in bringing hope to hopeless people and hope to hopeless situations. You see, a defeated king can't bring you any hope at all. But a victorious resurrected king can bring you more hope than you could ever imagine. And an eternal king can bring you hope for all eternity. So as we consider the king's resurrection this, this morning, I want to remind you, first of all, for you note takers or for those who just want to track along where we are, hope showed up in a place of grief. In the resurrection, hope showed up in this place of grief. Mary had gone to the tomb to grieve. And she gets there and she is especially upset because Jesus was gone and she assumes that someone has taken him. Let's pick up that portion of the story in your copy of God's Word in the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 20. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, let's go to the 20th chapter of John. If you don't have your Bible today, someone next to you will be glad to share. It's always on the screen in front of you and behind me. Let's go to John chapter 20. If you're relatively new to opening up the Bible or, opening, opening, or being here at church and opening up a Bible, um, John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel. Let's go to John chapter 20. We'll pick up this story in, in verse 11 as Mary has gone to the tomb to grieve. Uh, just, just a side note, she did not go there to celebrate. She did not go there because she was expecting a resurrection. She went there in, in grief, and hope showed up in this place of grief. Let's pick up here in verse 11 of chapter 20, the Gospel of John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They, the angels, said to her, woman... Why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, A familiar question, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, All she needed to hear, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. 
Did you see it two different times? One in verse 13, once in verse 15. The same question is asked. Why are you grieving? Which is an unusual question to ask in a cemetery. I mean, when you lose someone, you lose something, you, someone you care about, you, you grieve. And when you grieve, you weep, you cry. We grieve when there's a, a void in our life. We grieve when someone's missing. Some of you are, are missing someone that you were around last Easter, a beloved grandparent, maybe a friend, perhaps a spouse, maybe even a child. And you feel that grief today on this, on this holiday, on this special day, on this, this Resurrection Sunday. Maybe some of you come in here today grieving. Maybe you've lost someone or you lost something that, that meant a lot to you. Maybe some of you are here grieving today because what you wished would have happened did not happen. Something you wish would never have happened did happen. And you come into this house today grieving. Jesus has always met people at the place of loss, at the place of, of, of tears. Jesus always loved to, loves to step up close to us when we're grieving, when we're weeping. Jesus steps into our tears. He, he shows up in our grief. And I want you to see this in this passage. Jesus isn't just powerful. He's also personal. I mean, if Jesus, the resurrected king, was just powerful but not personal, we would probably still gather here today, but only because of fear. In fear of the one who, who conquered death. But instead, Jesus is, is powerful and personal. If he was only personal, we probably wouldn't be gathering here at all. We'd be home watching the masters right now. But you see, Jesus is both personal and powerful. We gather and celebrate today a, a Jesus, a king who is very powerful, but also a king who is very personal, a king who is the conqueror, but also the king who is the comforter. He is the king and he is kind. And just like on that first Easter, the resurrected Jesus cares and will walk with you in your troubling season. I can only imagine in a, in a group like this this morning, there are some who walked into this house today troubled. Troubled about your finances, troubled about your marriage, troubled about a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, troubled about your future. Jesus loves to, to step in, even in our places of, of grief. Easter says that Jesus has the power to bring hope even to the darkest places. So even if you come in here today and you're surrounded by a memory of someone who is no longer with you, or a grief, or a sadness, Jesus loves to step into our tears. Here's the second thing I want you to see from this passage. Hope showed up in a place of fear. I mean, the disciples are afraid at this point. They're holed up in a room in fear of their lives. They've been back and forth to the tomb, but now they're beginning to wonder if someone's gonna come to them and take them to their cross. Let's pick it up here in John chapter 20. Look at verse 19, John 20, 19. On the evening of that day, that day meaning resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were, were glad. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I've always been fascinated by this story since I was a kid. This is one of my favorite parts of, of the resurrection story. The disciples, fearful for their lives, are up in a room behind locked doors. John was very clear to say that. John would have been there. And all of a sudden, I don't know if he made this noise, poof, like Jesus is there. 
Like as a kid, I was like, that's amazing. Like that would have been like, why did you have to show your hands and your feet after that? You just walked through a locked door. That, that picture of a resurrected king showing up in a place of, of fear. You see, locked doors are no barrier to a king who had just unlocked the grave. They were fearing their worst enemies, and here comes their greatest friend. That's just like Jesus. To step in in our seasons of fear, here comes Jesus stepping in as a friend, as a, as a comforter. You see, the presence of Christ chases away the fear. And there was about to be a transformation in this room, in this story. Because these same panicked guys in this room would take the gospel to all the nations and the gospel would even land here in Waco because they rose up with courage out of fear when Jesus walked in. Many hiding in this room will end up being martyred for their faith because this newly found courage and seeing the resurrected Christ. Let me just say it again in case your heart needs to hear it once more. The presence of Christ chases away fear. Some fears we had as, as children were so irrational. Can you think back to, to childhood? I know for some of you, you have to think a little bit further, but just kind of think back to childhood for a second. Uh, there were a few things that I had a fear of that were absolutely irrational here in, here in hindsight. I'm going to date myself. There used to be a, a show on Monday nights called That's Incredible. Anybody from the 80s around here today called That's Incredible? There you go. See, there's a few shaking hands. Um, and right after That's Incredible, this specific night, this particular night, there was a, a special on right after That's Incredible called In Search of Bigfoot. I had never thought about Bigfoot, never been afraid of Bigfoot. And for some reason, I watched that, that show. It was, it was from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I have no idea what my, where my, I mean, what, what kind of parents did I have? Like they were, they were letting me watch In Search of Bigfoot at 8 o'clock on a Monday night, on a, on a school night. And I watched that show, and I, I can show you where at my parents' house I was. I just got closer and closer to that, to that TV. I was drawn in. And, and at the very end of, of this movie, end of this, this show, there's, there's a, a husband and wife in, in a cabin. I don't know, like Montana or something. They're up in a cabin, and someone knocks on the door. And they open it up as if Bigfoot knocks. But he knocks on the door, and they, they open it up, and there's like seven-foot-tall Bigfoot, and I, had, I didn't sleep for like five days. Like, it, it, it terrified me. Like, anytime you want to knock on the door, which is a fairly normal thing to happen at a house, I would just like, it's, it's Bigfoot. I know it's, I know it's Bigfoot. And then, and then in God's humor, I office now, right around the corner from six foot eight Mark Weibel, and, you know, if he ever grows a beard, I'm out of here because I, I still have this kind of, this, this fear of, of Bigfoot. I know that's unbelievably irrational, but probably a lot of us as kids, we had irrational fears of things, but some of us carry those fears into adulthood, like real fears, fears of being alone, fears of not being enough, fear of illness, fear of death, fear of tomorrow, the unknown of tomorrow, fear of isolation. And Jesus always tends to show up when his people are in a place of fear. Catch this, the very thing the disciples were lacking was the very thing that Jesus was offering. They were fearful and he is offering peace to them. Did you notice this? The first word he used to these spooked brothers in verse 19 was the word peace. 
Jesus had already talked to the brave women who actually left the room and went to the, to the cemetery, but now he has to say peace to these fearful men. The very thing you may be lacking today is the very thing Jesus is offering you today. Peace, comfort, life, freedom, joy, security. Thirdly, see this in this story. Hope showed up in a place of doubt. One of the disciples was named Thomas, and he wasn't in the room when Jesus showed up this previous time that we just read about. The disciples, though, now are trying to tell Thomas that, that Jesus showed up, but he wasn't buying what they were selling. Look at John chapter 20 with me. Look at verse 24 and 25. John 20, 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, must have had a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Those are pretty emphatic words there at the very end of verse 25. I will never believe. I can only assume that Thomas represents some here today. I mean, you're here because you have to be out of obligation that we mentioned earlier. But you come into this room saying, I, I don't believe this. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe he sent a son. I certainly don't believe that that son went to a cross and then rose again on, on, on the third day. I can only assume that Thomas's position represents the position of some people here today who just do not believe. And let me just say, if you're a doubter here today, a skeptic here today, a non-Christian here today, and in your mind, I, you never want to become a Christian, you are unbelievably welcome in this house. And not just on Resurrection Sunday, any Sunday. It's okay to be honest about your doubts. Thomas was just looking for evidence. He, he just needed someone to, to show him this resurrected Christ with his own eyes. So pick it up here in John chapter 20. Look at verse 26 with me. Eight days later. So this is, this is eight days of doubt. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, sure didn't stop Jesus last time, Jesus came and stood among them and said the same thing and said, peace be with you. Then he looks to the doubter. I love this about Jesus. He looks to Thomas and says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those, this parenthetically in Waco, who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas touched the side of the resurrected Christ for every doubter here today. How convinced was he? He went to India years after this and shared the gospel, the good news of this resurrected Christ until he died at the end of a spear in 72 AD. That's how convinced he was that he had seen the resurrected Jesus. He became so convinced that he laid his entire life out for this resurrected king. Lee Strobel, maybe a familiar name to some here today. Lee Strobel was a graduate of Yale Law uh, was a writer for the Chicago Tribune for 12 years, was an award-winning writer, an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. 
he set out to write an article, actually it's going to be a national article, disproving the existence of Jesus, disproving the existence of a cross, and certainly disproving the resurrection of Jesus. He began to write out his case for all of the nation to see. And at some point in the middle of writing out this article, he, there was something a prompting inside of him, inside of the research that he was doing that, that made him actually begin to second guess his doubts of the resurrection. He writes in his book, I, I recounted a prayer about halfway through my research, and I'm going to read this prayer. Would you listen to this prayer that Lee Strobel prayed as a skeptic, as a doubter, as an atheist? His prayer begins, God, I don't even believe you are there. But if you are, I want to find you. I want to know the truth. If you are real, please show yourself to me. Skeptics, doubters, that's a great place to begin because I think God loves to answer that prayer. Strobel went on to write several books, A Case for Faith, A Case for Christ, A Case for Grace, A Case for a Creator. I think about five more on top of that. It might be a good place if you're doubting here today, a skeptic here today, to go back to someone who also was, was doubting did not believe, in fact, was about to write a national piece on how there's no way the resurrection of Christ truly happened. Fourthly, hope showed up in a place of death. And death is the greatest fear of all humanity. If all of us in this house desire hope, Something else that holds us together, a common denominator that we have is all of us in this room, we're uncertain about, about death. When it's all over, what's going to happen? When I breathe my last, what happens to me? What happens to you? When life is over, where do we go? Isn't it interesting that the most defining event in all of Christianity took place in a cemetery? John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the last few verses of the 20th chapter of John. Now, Jesus did many other signs, John writes in John 20, 30. Now, J Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That's, that's one of those verses that drive me a little crazy. Can I just be honest with you? Like, wait a minute, so there's, there's more? Like, there's, there's, you're, you're holding out on us? There are more, I mean, this, I have a long list of things I want to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Maybe you do also. Insects is kind of top of my list. I have a lot of questions about insects when I get there. You know, I, this, is, this would be somewhere on top of my list. Like, what other things happened? Like, what did you not write down, John? What, what else happened? Now, I'm certain, just like you, we'll, we'll get to heaven because our trust in Jesus. We'll see him face to face. And we'll forget about insects and John chapter 20, verse, verse 30. But other things happen in the presence of witnesses, the disciples, which are not written in this book. But look at verse 31. But these are written. What, what's the these? The these is all the miracles that did take place including the greatest miracle of Christ coming back to life. But these things are written so that, here's the reason for God's word, so that you may believe that Jesus is the king. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus shows up in this place of death and brings the hope 
of life. Because when you believe that Jesus is the promised one, the, the resurrected king, the son of God, you will have life where there's been death. That's the invitation for everyone here today to believe upon the name of Jesus and, and find life. And if you're a non-believer, a non-Christian, an atheist today, an agnostic, you're, you're a skeptic, you're a doubter, there are hundreds of people around you today that would have to say, this is my testimony. I too was dead, but now I have life because of Jesus. Full life, rich life, wild life, merciful life. So let me end with this point and thought today. The King's resurrection means hope for us. Not just because he lives, but we can live also. This is the story of, of resurrection. It would be a fantastic story if it was a story just of someone who lived 2,000 years ago, but this story can also be your story. This story is also the story of many in this room, of millions and millions around the globe today. They have hope because of the resurrection of Christ. They too can live. The resurrection of Jesus changed the entire course of history. It has changed millions and millions of people, but I want you to understand this. It can also change the course of your life by believing upon this Jesus who gives life in his name. And Christian here today, brother and sister in Christ, when life is overwhelming, remember the immensity of this king's love and the irreversibility of Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray together? God, we thank you for this story that just never grows old. The story that is as true as time itself. The, the, the story that is as true as our existence itself. So today, God, we, we gather for the 2,000-something time as the Capital C Church, and we celebrate this king who has conquered death, this king who has the final word over death. Because of his resurrection, we too can be raised to new life. And not just in heaven one day, but in this life now. To have new life. Life that is full and rich and free. We can have peace with God. Joy, freedom, purpose. Because Christ is risen from the grave. We rejoice in this truth together today. In the name of the resurrected King, we pray together. Amen. What about you today? Has, has Christ entered in? Have you believed upon the name of Jesus for life? For freedom? For peace? Peace with God? Peace with your past? If you'd like to come and talk to a, a minister, we'll be here at the front. One of our staff members or spouses will be here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to tell you again of this King that can give you life. Maybe here today and you're concerned about a family member who doesn't know Jesus. And you'd love for them to believe upon the name of Jesus for life. And maybe you'd want to come and pray with the staff member and just pray for that loved one, that family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you work with. Or if you want to, just feel free to walk right past the staff members and just come and kneel here at the front and seek the Lord. He is the God who can be found. He's the God of the nations. He's the God of this room. May he be the God of our hearts. Let's sing together. Won't you please come?